Our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34 from the message. Then Jesus said, God's kingdom is like a seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. The seed sprouts and grows. He has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all without his help. First, a green stem of grass, then a bud, then a ripened grain. When the grain is fully formed, he reaps. Harvest time. How can we picture God's kingdom? What kind of story can we use? It is like a pine nut. When it lands on the ground, it is quite small as seeds go. Yet, once it is planted, it grows into a huge pine tree with thick branches. Eagles nest in it. With many stories like these, he presented his message to them, fitting the stories to their experience and maturity. He was never without a story when he spoke. When he was alone with his disciples, he went over everything, sorting out all the tangles and untying the knots. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before I begin, I would like to add two verses to the first Samuel reading. Uh, we heard that for, at, at first Samuel did not want to go and do what God had commanded him to do. So the reading continues. Samuel did what God told him. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the town fathers greeted him, but apprehensively. Is there something wrong? Nothing's wrong. I've come to sacrifice this heifer and lead you into worship of God. Prepare yourselves, be consecrated, and join me in worship. He made sure Jesse and his sons were also consecrated and called to worship. And so ends the reading. After Pastor Clark asked me to preach today, I had my wife, because she was in a meeting, ask him if he could send me the lectionary readings. And I read through the first Samuel reading thinking, yes, I get to talk about David. And after a minute, it dawned on me that that's not what the scripture was saying. David wasn't even mentioned in the passage. But as I contemplated the reading, I thought it had a great message that I would like to share this morning. Something, what you, might not, something you might not know about me is that I absolutely love the outdoors. Everything about it. Well, that's as long as I can look out a window at home or a really nice hotel. When I, when I had my wife read through this uh, on Thursday, I was headed out the door going to the grocery store and she had just gotten to that first sentence of that paragraph and I heard, what? <laughs> because she didn't read the second sentence yet. Of, yeah, I really don't like to be outside. The trifecta of things I really don't like to do, weeding, shoveling snow, and mowing the lawn. Now, honestly, in today's world of genetically engineered everything, I can't figure out why no one has modified grass seed that is lush and green and drought resistant and only grows three and a half inches tall. And they can even call it no mow grass seed. My wife and I are really great partners. She does the things that she knows I don't like to do, 
and I do the things she doesn't like doing. When the kids were growing up, when they were just ornery, I took care of it. However, when they were sick, Liz was on duty. So now that you know I don't like to mow the lawn, you know, and I'm sure it's not Liz's favorite thing to do, she always does it. There are times, however, that she cannot, and she asks me if I can. And while I never say the words, I know she's reading my mind as I think, do I have to? Now, of course, I do it because I know that she's only asking because she's not. As human beings, it's easy for us to do the things we love to do. It's harder to do the things that we hate to do, and it's even more difficult to do the things that we are afraid to do. When I read the first Samuel text, I thought, just how many times in the Bible has somebody basically told God, do I have to? And there are many examples. And of course, God's answer to the question is always yes. I know that I have a hard time understanding that there are those in the Bible that had conversations with God and still questioned him, do I have to do that? Or I don't want to do that. And of course, there are those who do what God asks without question. Abraham is just about to sacrifice his future in his son Isaac and is stopped at the last second. Now there's a non-traditional Father's Day story for you. Or David, hearing that no one will defend God against Goliath by fighting him to the death, says he will do it. Now David at this time is probably the polar opposite of Goliath. He is a shepherd, not a giant, and not a trained killer. But he didn't ask, do I have to? He trusts that God will use him to whatever outcome God has in mind. Moses, however, did not want to do anything God was asking. From the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. The Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they are being treated by the Egyptians. It is time for you to go back. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses answered, God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I will be with you, God said, and this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. In the next verse, Moses protests again, saying that if he goes to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they won't believe me. Of course, God assures him that they will. And again, with Exodus chapter 24, starting with the first verse, Moses still protests. So God gives him the, the ability to perform miraculous signs. So Moses now tries a different tactic. From the book of Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. 
I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? And who, who makes it moot or sometimes deaf or, and some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. He said, oh, master, please send somebody else. So after God gets angry for the continued pleading of, do I have to? He didn't let Moses off the hook, but he gave him help with his brother Aaron. Moses eventually accepts the fact that he has to do what God is asking of him. And Moses becomes one of the most historically highly respected leaders of Israel. Another story that we know well from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amidias' son. Put, on your, put up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went into the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board, joining them going to Tarshish as far away from God as he could get. Here we have Jonah not even answering God. He knew Nineveh was a large city, and his message would not go over very well with its inhabitants. He heads in the opposite direction. So God creates a terrible storm at sea. And when confronted with throwing Jonah overboard at his request, the sailors didn't want to do that. They were afraid that that would anger God, so they tried to get back to shore by rowing. They finally relented and did the deed, and the sea was immediately calm, and the sailors gave praise to God. So after being thrown overboard, swallowed by a whale for three days, when God asks again, this time he listens. The odd thing is, after his preaching reaches the hearts of the people of Nineveh, and God has a change of heart in destroying the city, Jonah isn't happy and tells God, see, this is why I didn't want to go in the first place. I knew you would change your mind. He couldn't see past the fact that he just saved all of those people. He was concerned of how it made him look. God had Jonah go to Nineveh for God's glory, not Jonah's. Yet, in the end, Jonah did what he didn't want to do, and the sailors on the boat and the inhabitants of Nineveh witnessed the awesome power of God. While there are other stories that fit the pattern, perhaps including Jesus praying in the garden just before his death, I would like to take a look at this morning's reading. First, we need to understand that Samuel has a tough job. He is the one that anointed Saul to be king. And he is the person who had to tell Saul things God wanted said that Saul would not like. Our reading says that Samuel mourned over Saul and God told him to get over it. He has already rejected him 
and was sorry he ever made him king. Samuel does not want to do what God commands as he, fear, as he fears for his life when Saul finds out. Perhaps he was also reluctant to anoint another king as the first one didn't work out all that well in God's eyes. But after being assured of his safety, giving a cover story, he goes to Bethlehem to do what God wanted. I find it ironic that while Samuel was afraid of what Saul might do, the leaders of Bethlehem were apprehensive about Samuel. They asked if anything was wrong because they were afraid of what God might do. In today's gospel reading, we are told of how Jesus privately gave instruction to his disciples after preaching and telling his stories to the masses. I think we learn of this because it is important that his disciples go on when he is gone. It is too important for them to be confident in, del in their delivering the good news. They can't say, do I have to? There's too much at stake. I believe that there is an implicit thought that comes with, do I have to? And that is, we already know the answer to the question. It's going to be, yes, I will do it. If that was not the case, then we would simply say no. Or thinking of fathers on Father's Day, if you asked my father a yes or no question where the answer was going to be no, he would have said, let me think about it. When we have lay servant training, one of the things they tell you is that when asked to serve, you should always say, I'd love to, and say it with a joyful heart. Next time you think, do I have to? Just say, I'd love to. You know you're already going to say it anyway. Thanks be to God.